in three, two, one. Welcome to another episode of The Gray Sage. Uh, Greg, we're on episode number 30 going through the book, for those who have it, called The Straight, the, Gay, the Gray Stage by Greg Fernandez <laughs> Jr. We're going through every chapter in this book, Greg, and uh, this is the 30th episode. We're on chapter number 14, and if you're following along in the book, we're on page 129 and it's a it's a you know chapter 14 is called rotten reviews and it's uh this is part two going through the various people that have written or wrote reviews on the documentary on the grace on the grace state documentary from eric nelson so people write reviews and many of these are all very good really really cool reviews because such a good movie it was but like you said in the previous episodes the bullet points, the talking points seem to be the same. It seems to uh, the folks have gotten the memo, so to say, on what to write, what to focus on, and what topics to avoid. Most most of the stuff we found out, Greg, is is the evidence itself, is the thing that they all stay away from. The propaganda talking points are they all th- are the things that each one of them go to. They're all directed. They all gravitate to the narrative, the propaganda piece that Eric Nelson has instilled in this movie. And we're going to go through part two today on some more strange reviews, I guess, about this and how they all kind of fall into the same trap. Absolutely. It's about to get rotten here. So Rotten reviews. Um, <laughs> rotten <laughs> reviews. And, and the name you get this is uh, Rotten Tomatoes uh, website is where most of these reviews came from. So that's where you come up with the, with the verbiage here for rotten reviews. So starting off, Greg, uh, we're going to start on page 129 at the top. This is the review from Alec Wilkinson. And so let's start there for today's episode. Beginning, Alec Wilkinson's article, which seemed to be directly related to Eric Nelson's documentary, did did mention Alex Jones, but not in a derogatory way. This is a very thorough and interesting article, a short book in the making. I'm not sure if I would categorize David as dystopian, as Mr. Wilkinson claims. But then again, I do not try to think of human beings in such general terms. So his title of the article was The uh, the Death of a Dystopian. That was Alec Wilkinson's article was in the, uh, the New Yorker. And it was called Death of a Dystopian. So this got a lot of press, this uh, article in the New Yorker. Going on, it says, unfortunately, Alec falls into the trap of trying to connect David Crowley to an alt-right movement while avoiding the bullet hole in the living room. Wilkinson then told me the reason the bullet hole was not included in his article was because it was not that important. (laughs) Well, it sure seemed important when I first told Alec about it. He found it strange, and so did his fact checker who called me before the article was published. Then after publication, Alec basically claimed the bullet that killed David was not a big deal. Great reporting, Alec. The article fails to prove David Crowley guilty, which is par for the course in this case. Some people just want to believe the official theory, and they're free to do so. However, the facts of the case do not support their accusations against David Crowley. Now, in the bullet point, uh, in the bold section below, your response uh, in your book, Greg, says, overall, Alec Wilkinson put a lot of time and effort into this article. He seemed sincere when I spoke with him over the phone. After our phone call, I was left with the feeling that this man had not done a lot of research on the case 
had not read the 94 pages of police reports and had not looked at the first 464 photos released by the AVPD. But that is just a feeling. So what we've got here, Greg, is is uh, almost a first-class review here written. And I mean that from a uh, from a viewership. You know, we can mention these different various articles and, and newspapers and trade journals and reports and magazines. But the, the New Yorker article was a high... Um, high-profile article that went very in-depth. It wasn't just a review. It was a summary of the entire case, essentially, that Alec Wilkinson wrote and published. It was basically their feature story in that episode of The New Yorker, that issue. And like you, I also did get a call back from their fact-checkers on staff asking me with various questions if there were true false or could you verify or could you back this up and i gave my answers and um you know they had actually a staff person call to double check the quotes and things that were said on our behalf uh someone fact checked the things that i said someone fact checked the things that you said our names are both mentioned in the article uh, i don't know if i talked to alec wilkinson myself but you did right Yes, I did. Yeah, I talked to him. Then I talked to his fact checker twice. She had to call me back because the first time that the their fact checker called me, there was a lot of things wrong. And she was asking me, is this just like, no, 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 no. <laughs> so it was like whatever they were writing, at least they had that. They had somebody who was monitoring it. So I was even a little frustrated with that. It's like, well, I just talked with, with this guy and what he's quoting me as saying, what he's saying that I said is is not true. So the fact checker did have to come back twice and clarify and it was even still even after then it was kind of like well whatever just write whatever you guys want want to write because you're obviously not listening to to what i'm saying like i said you don't care about the this bullet in the the living room see or this bullet hole in the living room ceiling which to me is a big big deal Correct. and so i just finally just was like well whatever you guys want to do just do it because <laughs> And that's what my my response was the same way. Answer the questions, make sure they got what I was saying correct. Um, and they published it, they ran with it, and, and that was it. Uh, but once again, it was almost making, a, it was a discrediting case against us two, you know, once again, and throwing us under the bus and throwing the Eric Nelson bullet points uh, into the limelight, shining the light on what I call the propaganda, the things that they wanted the public to see as opposed to the evidence. Now, you went out of your way to mention the ceiling bullet hole. Mm -hmm. And at first, it sounds like he seemed interested in that. And then in the big, big picture, well, it's 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 low hanging fruit. We're going to focus on the big stuff. Well, the big stuff is the bullet hole in the ceiling. I mean, that's 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 the biggest part of this case from an evidence uh, case you know from a, that's that's the lead thing in the story that's what the documentary if there was a real documentary done on this case would be focusing on that a real movie or a miniseries done on this case would focus on that a real article in the new yorker that really breaks away this case an authentic article would focus on that so alec wilkinson it, it really seemed to tie in together and after reading it the first time myself my opinion was that it was directly tied to or it was a companion piece meant to go along with the Gray State movie that Eric Wilkinson did. That was, in my belief, funded uh, by by Deep State, uh, by Op Operation Mockingbird, and part of the pro propaganda machine to get everyone on the same wavelength with this movie. Was this big feature article that tied directly back into it? 
like I said, it's like a companion piece that was written that way on purpose to make it all fit together in a nice little package. And that's the, the feeling I got after reading the article. Yeah, and I, I think I think you were the first person that kind of got me thinking about that stuff too, because you were the first per you were the one that pointed out like these articles all sound the same. And like and all these people are all saying pretty much the same thing. They're tweaking it a, a little bit, but um I, I do do remember that really stood out to me. And then I think maybe it was maybe it was Anne or somebody had actually found the a uh, quote where Eric Nelson actually says that yes, this was they were they are tied. These two things are tied together, I believe, right? Yes, yes. And so the, the general public, when you read it, you think that these are independent. <laughs> Filmmaker did a movie and then a, a writer, uh, a very good writer. You know, in fact, Alec Wilkinson has, yeah. has some very good work done uh, on his on his resume, so to say, for the works that he's done over the years, uh, writing articles and, and being published. Uh, it, it appears that he went and did a review on this case and wrote it and published it. And Eric Nelson did a um, a documentary on on the case and they just happened to kind of line up well like you said and looked into it and they were working uh kind of hand in glove to to make this come out and maybe it maybe it was done around the same time as the movie they waited got the movie out released that and a few months later this article comes along or was it a few months before it was within a couple months look it up yeah and it's a nice little it's a nice little tie-in and it's almost like uh, what we said. It's almost too good of a tie-in. It's almost too good. It's almost too perfect. It's almost too neat. It's almost too clean. And so when you have things like that, when you get into the world of propaganda and you start understanding how propaganda works and how these seed, seeds, in co- according uh, as far as lies, how these seeds are planted. Uh, in fact, the same talking points when we started at the first part uh, exposing folks on our justice for David Crowley and family Facebook groups. People started sounding the same way and started planting these same seeds, which were later, these folks were later exposed as infiltrators into the group, not wanting to get to the truth, not wanting to look at the evidence, but wanting to focus on these points, these bullet points. Uh, and so that's where you can identify when someone's working together here to get the same types of uh, themes the themes that were coming out were all lining up. Now, I do agree that Alec Wilkinson did put a lot of time into this. We've seen reviews written from people who just simply watched a 90-minute movie, wrote up a <laughs> review, and published it on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, that's one thing. But Alec Wilkinson put together this whole kind of a comprehensive article. like, uh, And you had written that it's almost like a short book. It's, it's a, a book could be written about this uh, someday as a uh, this article as a prequel or something for a subsequent follow-up book really did a lot of work but yeah. the three things that you can tell by reading the article didn't look at the photos didn't read the police report and and had not researched the actual the evidence of this case you know maybe read a lot of articles and maybe yeah. read a lot of these other articles and uh, other reviews and watched the movie and things but it it did it wasn't getting to the gist of, of anything i don't think Right. Yeah. So this, so it actually came out in April of 2017. This is when the published, I think you sent me this actually. Yes. yes. I, I, I couldn't find it by the time I got to the store. It was, it was I already went, gone. I uh, went to a local Barnes and Noble and picked up five or 10 copies when they were there. And I shipped out a few to you. I still have a couple um, on hand myself. Uh, 
as uh, evidence, as we'll call it, I guess, of the propaganda. So when you get an Eric Nelson guy do a documentary of this length, of this in-depth with the hours and hours of footage and all of the things that went into be, uh, to basically railroad us and go after David and also Kumail as being the both both the bad guys. Uh, it's fair to say the propaganda was not just a, a by accident. Uh, this was a paid piece. I think he was paid and assigned to make this documentary in a certain way, and was probably paid handsomely for it. Now, Alec Wilkinson, I think the same thing. After reading his article, this is not just by happenstance that he went and wrote writ, you know, writ, wrote an article about this to get it published. This was following a very specific beginning, kind of a body and a conclusion of an article that all he did was kind of fill in the pieces in between and send it out there. Uh, therefore, I would my conclusion for this also is Alec Wilkinson for this assignment for writing this article was also propaganda, was also paid. This was not just him writing an article on behalf of the New Yorker as part of his a monthly annual salary. This was not just him doing his piece. This was a special project uh, that I do believe, in my opinion, that he was paid separately for to do this, uh, not necessarily by the New Yorker. This is a piece of propaganda, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. So if this came out in April of 2017, this would have been a couple months before. Before. So it so it planted the seeds. It planted yeah, it all did. the seeds that they wanted us to see that they knew in the movie that one came out in Christmas or November of 2017, when the documentary came out, it kind of solidified folks thoughts on that based on what was in the New Yorker article. Anything Correct. they questions with uh, as far as the propaganda that kind of seemed wonky, it all confirmed it. Then it cemented it when the movie came out and they all said, Oh, that's it. David's a nutcase. And so is his wife and problem solved. Um, you know, no one gets into the fact of a five-year-old girl was was brutally killed and potentially tortured beforehand, and no one brings up that case, uh, a missing arm, for instance, a broken rib on the movie or this article. Um, these are the things that stand out uh, to me. Absolutely. Yeah, and, and like Dan was, was saying, and I'll just uh, see if I can make this a little bit bigger, but yes, on the New Yorker article, it is right there on the cover, Death of a Dystopian, by, uh, Death of a Dystopian Filmmaker by Alec Wilkinson. And so it's right there on the New Yorker and look who's on the cover. Look who made it there. Yeah, <laughs> they're the making, cover. you know, making fun of Trump right there on the cover, a uh, heavyset guy playing golf. Uh, it's just, that's a propaganda machine. And, and we know too, now when we get into Operation Mockingbird, for those who are familiar um, with that, with the paid people that came over after World War II that the U.S. hired to, uh, you know, write propaganda pieces to, to fix the narrative. This goes back a long ways now, many decades when the CIA hired these folks. Um, the New Yorker itself is another propaganda publication. Now, do they do they feature real live good articles now and then? Yes. But the, 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 the publication itself is like the USA Today. It's like the New York Times. It's like the Washington Post. It's like the yeah. USA Today. These are all... If you take all five of those newspapers on any given day and read the headlines, uh, they're basically the same. Yeah, they got a hit. They even got a hit piece on Tucker Carlson and a hit same. piece on Car Tucker Carlson. So there you go. That's and, and folks read this uh, stuff, uh, these these high profile magazines and think, well, you know, this is really I'm reading some educated stuff, some experts in their field. Uh, you know, this is like watching 
the hosts on CNN on a nightly basis. They are not the experts. They're being paid to brainwash the unsuspecting public, just like with the New Yorker magazine. Now, I'm not saying that, Greg, as, mm-hmm. as I'm being defensive about an article that's written negatively about us. I'm not saying that. I'm not defensive about that because we figured that was what was probably going to come of it. The right. fact is, it wasn't surprising because we knew that in the first place. And I've made many, many posts on Facebook and social media about the New Yorker well before this article came out. Uh, this doesn't just put me in a sour sour uh, grapes here with this publication. The New Yorker is a propaganda piece. That whole yeah. publication is. And so, rightly so, with an article like this, um, add, add, add to the mix. That's all I've got. For uh, that one, anything that one. else, uh, Greg? Um, this this article here is uh, in the New Yorker. Um, this would be the April tenth, twenty seventeen uh, article. I'm not sure what episode or if they have, but um, this is on page page twenty two, and it goes all the way to page um, twenty eight. So it's a, it's like six six pages with three three columns, very small writing and everything, and People probably know this head art, this uh, piece here that they have there of David in the hoodie, yeah, in the hoodie, hoodie, like like he's Antifa or something. It's like a uh, almost like a, a uh, an article they're doing on a school shooting or something. You know, a bad you're guy. Right. Yeah, they're you're making right. him out with the dark colors to make it look like he's the bad guy. Put yeah, in look the title, "Death of a Dystopian." You know, ooh, <laughs> juicy stuff. Uh, David Crowley was a clean cut, ate healthy drank healthy foods, worked out, kept his body in shape. Uh, and now you're getting a lead article about this uh, nutcase, allegedly. Very high IQ also, David Crowley. Uh, I did not, keep in mind now, I did not know him ever on a personal basis. Uh, I never followed yeah. Gray State before this even, he even came out, the project. Uh, and so this is not, I'm not backing up a friend or a buddy or a fellow Minnesotan uh, backing him up. Uh, this was a well- educated, high IQ guy that was uh, really ahead of his time here. Yeah. yeah. And um, are, are, would you say, so you wouldn't say that you were a fan before his death. Um, would you consider yourself a fan after his death? Of what he was doing and the project that he was working on? Yes. I became a fan after doing the research. Interesting. Uh, yeah. Much, much in my case, how I gravitated to the Kurt Cobain murder. I never mm. was a fan of Nirvana. I was never a fan of Kurt Cobain uh, while he was living and performing. I became a big fan after the fact, once I knew the true story uh, and how he was killed, murdered. And then I became a fan of his music and the lyrics and the writing of his music and the poems and the poetry and how much of a genius that man was. Yeah. But... I'm drawn to these. I have two two children, two daughters, and um, both Cobain. Uh, the fact that his daughter to this day thinks that her father committed suicide uh, really eats at me. Uh, the fact that Rania Crowley uh, folks think that her father, uh, you know, did this horrendous act when he was actually a good dad. Kurt Cobain, another very good dad, a very proud father, doing all the right things, loved his child so much. David Crowley, I see the same same principles with him their life was their child uh, everything was first in the uh, that was the reason kurt cobain was going to quit and wrote that long lengthy letter of quitting the band he's going to focus on his family 
Well, someone got a hold of that letter, added a paragraph at the bottom and says, I'm ending my life. I'm killing myself. Now the whole thing reads like a suicide note. You know, so his original note that was unaltered, the beginning of it was him leaving the band, moving on to different things. I need a change. I need to focus on other things. That's how that suicide note was written. Um, mm -hmm. Just you just change the title, sign it that I'm leaving this world and I'm dying in someone else's handwriting. Of course, the last paragraph is not his handwriting. That was already proved by a writing. And so now you turn it into a suicide note and you get the mainstream media and big rock music publications to push that, that he was a drug addict, nut, nut job, crazy dude. And so, and they say, now this is the suicide note. There's your answer. Well, that also was a lie. And anyone who's studied the case knows it is a lie. It is not. Uh, the evidence proves Kurt Cobain did not kill himself. That's not just my opinion. Uh, the evidence from, from experts proved that like we proved the David Crowley case. So very similar Mm -hmm. to me. So in summary, I became fans of both after their death. So. Interesting. So, so you've seen uh, so Soaked in Bleach. Yeah, I've seen I think is one of the every yeah. documentary on the Cobain case. I think I have seen good and bad. There's mm -hmm. there's a lot of propaganda pieces out there as well. When you start researching that rabbit hole on the Cobain killing, yeah. there's a lot of fake documentaries out there as That's well. True. Yeah. But yeah, you got to keep researching and look into the true ones, the, the real ones. And that's not me cherry picking movies that I want to see that fit my narrative is what mm -hmm. people think conspiracy theorists are. They'll cherry pick movies and documentaries that agree with their thinking and say, oh, those are the those are the real ones. But no, there's a lot of good documentaries out there uh, about Cobain that are real, uh, authentic uh, and the ones that that make the higher. <laughs> The prime primary ones that the public sees are typically the ones that, uh, yeah, he was down, depressed, broke, didn't have any money, and killed himself. That was not that was not the case. Once again, similar to Kurt Cobain, he was signing a very very prolific contract to perform at the Lollapalooza uh, that he opted out of, and people say that he was down, he was in debt, he was down and out and depressed. Uh, no, that was certainly not the case. David Crowley also had no money issues financially at all. So we see the similarities. Phil Marshall, same thing. You know, the suicide note. Uh, I'm in debt. I'm going to end it all. I'm going to kill myself. No, he was making more on his uh, medical benefits from being unemployable as a as a commercial airline pilot because of his handicap, uh, because of his injury. He was making some good money on a monthly basis on uh, with those checks rolling in. So yeah. that also was faked by the propaganda to make it look like he off himself. He killed himself and his two children. Now, the Very next good. topic is top of page 130 is Corey Zorowski. Now, this one I have a little more in-depth that I can uh, talk about here, but I'll read the first the article first. I actually sat down and, and met with Corey, sat down and did an interview face-to-face -face with Corey. Oh, now, wow. This, That's right. This, I forgot. This, I thought, was going to be the fact that it was the city pages, the local uh, newspaper here in the Minneapolis-St. Paul Twin Cities area, that uh, that's more alternate, alternative thinking, uh, not mainstream. They like to break the real stories, uh, kind of like uh, Newsmax or OAN now. It's, they're kind of like that, that I thought this is a real only chance that we're going to have to get this story straight and blow people away with what really happened. Set down. Had an hour and a half interview with with Corey, and and most of the time I thought he was very engaging and really like wow, this, a lot of this stuff doesn't add up. I mean, 
wow, you know, the eyes, the big eyes would come out like, really? And then the publication comes out and it's the same old thing. All right, ready to continue on? Yep, yep. let's do All it. Right. Local Minnesota newspaper staff writer Corey Zurowski called the alleged double murder-suicide, quote, catnip for conspiracy theorists, end quote. I will give Corey, this is you now talking, Greg, I will give Corey credit for never mentioning the phrase alt-right or Alex Jones in his article published March 23rd, 2016. So this is another now a year before The New Yorker came out and a year and a half before the documentary came out. This is 2016. This was published. However, it is a shame he avoided the most important thing I could ever relate to the City Pages staff writer. Zorowski conveniently forgot to mention the bullet hole police missed when they entered the house on January 17th, 2015. Once again, Greg, right on the money. Never was this mentioned. It wasn't mentioned and then never addressed again. It was never mentioned. Yeah. yeah, and it's so interesting to see these guys where, where we tell them, and th we purposely told them. So here we have Alec Wilkinson, Eric Nelson's group that came to my house or to my to my mom's house, and then Corey too. It was very important to make sure that they all at least knew about this bullet hole and to try to feel them out to see if they were if they even cared about it. Because if they didn't care about this bullet hole, that was going to tell me. A, a lot and it was going to show me that you know what maybe they're really not serious about this case whether they agree with the bullet hole or not it's like this is a big big deal and then you have the bullet that that um uh, flew out of the carpet when the cleaners were cleaning so you have two very important bullets there and i really just focused on item 57 at this point i should Correct. have asked them about the other bullet too um and i don't believe that i even knew that i don't know if i had the DNA or any of any of that stuff at, at this point when when we talked with them so um You're right. it's this pretty was, interesting stuff. this is 2016 so this is just now a year after the crimes and the bodies were discovered in January of 2015 this article came out in March of 2016 so this is one of the first big pieces that were art, uh, article that was written pretty in depth and not just a couple paragraphs once again this is a three or four page uh, you know article in this in this printing yeah, and we could probably go back to our notes and probably find when he contacted us too, because I do believe that I felt like this article, maybe it was Alec Wilkinson's art. One of them, they 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 contacted us, and then the article didn't come out for a very long time. I don't remember if it was Corey's article, if it was, or if it was Alec Wilkinson. Alec Wilkinson's makes more sense because that was a long one, um, but I, I don't depth. remember. Very in depth, I thought. Yeah, but this one I had the most, uh, you know, most faith. That, that he would get it right and really blow this case open. Once again, the, the publication like the City Pages is one that they're trying to uh, make waves. They're trying to stir things up. They're trying to get people to read. Um, a lot of their articles are not just for the sake of getting it done. Uh, here's your assignment for the week for this weekly article. Do your article, get it in, and let's get it done, and I'll get a paycheck out of it. Uh, these are guys that are, are trying to get make it to that next level. Uh, they're introductory, sometimes beginning journalists uh, mm -hmm. using this as a first step uh, out of out of um, college or out of their degree, and then to get a job of higher paying job later. Uh, it's more introductory. So I thought we had a chance here because um, uh, there's very low prop propaganda prob probability with 
an issue of the publication of the city pages. This is this is really your non-propaganda. And Corey Zorowski, in my mind, is one of those that probably more than likely was not paid anything outside by propaganda to push this. This was just a legitimate guy doing his job writing an article, I think, that happened to get it all wrong. Uh, but I think he did it in good faith. Now, it could be totally wrong, but I don't believe there's propaganda in this piece at all. But let's continue. Sure. I expressed, this is Greg talking now, I expressed to Corey the importance of the bullet hole as it led to the bullet police alleged David killed himself with. Police would not discover the bullet until their third call to the Crowley house one month after the murders. It was a shame Zorowski avoided such a crucial piece of catnip. <laughs> I still wonder why he avoided the issue. How can one claim to write a fair and balanced article without mentioning the bullet that killed David? Now, the only thing I'm going to say here is, uh, Greg, he may have had or may have written a very large article here. It still has to get through the editors and the censors and the editor approvers to what then ultimately becomes the final product finished version that makes the press. So once Corey submitted the article, I'm still open to the fact there's someone there on that staff that was purposely uh, assigned to strike out certain paragraphs of his article to clean it up and to avoid such topics. Uh, I'm, I'm open to that happening. And Corey not being, uh, you know, collateral damage there with the not making it into the article. But the finished product does seem to be um, censored. As you say, very important topics never made the final version. And someone has to go through and proofread and edit and then approve the final version to make it in there with enough space and enough talking points. And that those kinds of things could be stripped out. That would be the one thing if I got a chance to talk to Corey Zorowski today, you know, years after, to find out how that took place. What percentage of his article made it to press? Was it 75%? Was it 80? I don't think it was a hundred percent because he would have had those things in there, I would assume. But you're right. You point out the fact that these are crucial pieces not included. Now, Zorowski mentioned me in the article, but avoided the key piece of information I was trying to relay to him. Quote, citizen journalist Greg Fernandez Jr. points to various peculiarities. Definitive fingerprints couldn't be ascertained on the handgun. It doesn't make sense that David was right-handed, yet the weapon was found to the left of him. Investigators never fully vetted why the rear patio sliding door was ajar. End quote. Well, fair enough for Corey, Greg writes, but he still assumed the patio door made, quote, people like Fernandez and Hennen wonder if the family was murdered by someone they knew. The unlocked patio door proved to me there was no reason for police to look for signs of forced entry. There was a clear entry point into the house through the patio door. So forced entry seemed irrelevant in this case. And that's where your issue at article stops there, Greg. Uh, your summary in bold print at the bottom, it says, in the end, Corey Zorowski avoided the bullet hole found in the living room ceiling, just like all the other writers mentioned in this chapter. I hoped he would be different from the others, but I was wrong. In my opinion, this bullet hole is the smoking gun. We need to help get this case reopened. I was surprised when so many people in the media avoided this crucial piece 
of information. So good point, Greg. Once again, we know there's censorship in the media. Uh, whether someone at the city pages censored that out uh, and filtered that information out before it went to press could be. Maybe other people wrote about articles in the Crowley case that made there was an article in People magazine, other articles about the case. Uh, were those two are also filtered out by higher ups to ensure that information does not get out there. But who knows? It's interesting that he didn't. But I liked Corey. He was a younger author, had younger kids. He uh, His kids were very Minnesota here. So when I talked to him, his kids were very involved in ice hockey and going to lessons and training to play ice hockey and getting better on their, on their skates because they were younger children at the time. So he was a young dad, a young husband. And I felt I connected with him on some on some respect as far as getting the true story out there. But many times, like I said, he had the big eyes like, wow, really? That's what happened in the case? I said, yes, look it up, research it, whatever you want to do. And none of those things were in the article. Is there any way to still reach out to him, you think, at this possibly, point? Or? Possibly. Yeah. Now, several times during the interview also, he did look at me like, Who's this crackpot? Who's this conspiracy theorist? Let's just get this, you know, over with. I'm gonna get this done so I can go home. It's kind of a pain, you know. Who's this nut job? And when he sat down and and met me, the the best thing I like about thinking people are meeting conspiracy theorists is seeing you in person. Yeah. He met me. We went to a coffee shop. Met. He he saw that I was just a normal a normal guy. So I think that shocked him first by thinking, well, I have this preconceived notion of what a conspiracy look guy looks like, right? It's a nut job. He's, he's, he's got tattoos and long hair. <laughs> and he's a whack job who lives in his mother's basement. Well, we had things that we, we talked about that we knew. And I was just a, a regular clean cut guy, uh, a businessman with, with a degree working uh, on my career and doing this on the side. So that kind of shocked him at first, too, because I don't think how, how many times these guys would interview conspiracy theorists for, mm. you know, for a show. I'm sure before he left that morning, is he said to his wife, I can't wait. I'm going to do this conspiracy theorist interview. <laughs> and then he comes home and say, well, I like the guy. He almost, you know, felt like I'd like to stop and have a, uh, go out and have a beer and play some golf with him sometime. You know, it's how we left it. You know, well, we almost exchanged numbers. You know, he was a good, easy guy to talk to. And I liked his his uh, his background. So. Was I let down when I got the when I read the finished article? That one too. I went up and picked up five or ten issues of that publication, the actual hard copy, and I've got them in in storage. But it was interesting. I mean, it was it was not what I expected the article to be, and it and in fact, it was kind of laughing and joking at us, uh, the people who poured in countless hours into this task. And so it was kind of tossed aside. Now, like I said, I don't believe Corey Zorowski himself is anything to do with the deep state and not connected at all and did not receive a side check under the under the cash table, under the table cash to write this article from the deep state. I think he just wrote it and that's the way it came out. Now, is there people above him in the city pages? I don't know. I don't know that. So that's all I've got for that. Corey, to me, seemed like a nice enough. Uh, a fellow. He seemed in his writing skills good, his research skills good. He seemed to me like a good journalist. Um, yeah. I so think I read, my. I read some of his other articles too before we did the interview to see what kind of a writer he was. And I I thought he was uh, well versed um, and very good and, and professional. Yeah.
I, I, I start to wonder if my expectations were too high from a lot of these people and, you know, but it's, he was at the, at the local level there too, working for a paper, like you said, one of those free papers, right? We have those here where you can just, you can just pull, pull those up. So I figured, well, he's not going to have an agenda or anything like, like Correct. that in it. And I'll have to go back and actually read it. I actually thought that I had it next to me, but I don't have the the newspaper article next to me here. I know it's probably there's probably a digital publication out there, but um, so I, um, I I think he may be one one of the. I mean, Dan, when you think about everything that we've read from everybody so far, including the People article and every other article, you know, if you had to choose, would it be Corey's article was that was the most fair to us the most balanced article um, i i would like, say I, i'd have it, to go back and read it i would have to say that it was uh you yeah. know, he got a lot of things wrong he also got a lot of things right i don't think he had an agenda when he sent out set out to do this i would like to if i were my my wish list if i were to get in contact with him do a follow-up interview or a talk or sit down and chat with him to say how did this article come into fruition how did it get on the on the list of topics for that week or you know, a to-do list. And how did he get assigned? Did he raise his hand and say, I'll do it? Or did someone assign him this story? You know, how did that all come together? It doesn't, I don't think he just followed the, the case and says he brought it up to his leadership uh, and said, I'd like to do an article on this, although he may have. Yeah. And that was March of, tw March of 2016. Right? And it was, so there was, it was so much we news didn't know. off and on, but it was right. the more in the locals, and locally here, it was more on the conspiracy pages and on social media than in actual officially published articles. Uh, we have Minneapolis and St. Paul that have, you know, daily newspapers come out. And this wasn't, the Crowley case wasn't in there at all, you know, even even a year later with all this. But you were to pull up, uh, you know, uh, websites, social media, face, Facebook around here locally in the area, uh, that, that Crowley case kept bubbling over all the time. Wherever you went, you would, you would hear talk or rumblings of the case, but the mainstream did not touch it. So I'd be interested to find out how he got assigned the case or if he volunteered to do it. And was it gone over and cleaned up before it went to press? You know, mm. what was, how did that all end up that way? So if, if, if he talked to us, he must have talked um, to some of the Gray State goons, right? He must have talked with them. Like I said, I haven't read this article in a long time, probably since 2016, maybe 2017. Um, but I'm assuming he also talked with them, too. And He could have talked to them, the neighbor Judy uh, Procknow. He could have talked to the Gray State guys, uh, some other people connected with it. And that could have, if that's the case, then that would have swayed his thinking as far as uh, they were all out to get us as well. So that would have dampened his trust level, you know, with us mm -hmm. uh, or her credibility, so to say, but sure. that could have been the case. And I'm sure by the investigator that he is and the journalist that he is, he probably talked to many of those. Now, when we talk to talk about guys locally, like Tom Lydon from Fox nine, that was a propaganda piece. That was something that someone was paid to do. That was not authentic journalism. Uh, what Tom Lydon did, that was uh, that was disgusting in your face, I think. But Corey Zorowski, I think, made an authentic effort to write an article about this topic with yeah. no agenda, I think. Yeah. All right. The next, next one is Mitch Heil. Let's go to Mitch. Mitch Heil, bottom of page 131. On September 26th, 2017, Mitch Heil returned 
to the Dutch and Royce show to share his his thoughts on Eric Nelson's documentary, A Gray State. Heil was seated in the front row during the film's pre-release screening at the Walker Art Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota on September 21st, 2017. Quote, it's really strange watching a documentary about your best friend who basically went nuts. Mitch explained to the Dutch and Royce. It's like you're watching the slow collapse of something, like progressing, end quote. Just like the Apple Valley Police Department and Eric Nelson's movie, Mitch did not provide any evidence to prove David was guilty. Mitch stated that David, quote, recorded everything and meticulously kept journals of everything for the longest time, end quote. Heil also discussed the concept of gray state. Basically, quote, a jizz fest of all conspiracy theories mixed into one, end quote. And that, I think, is is authentic. I think that's what Mitch Heil thinks. I don't think any, anyone planted that into his head. Uh, he just thinks that we're all nuts. All these conspiracies are nuts. Yeah, and, and, and he's been on, to put it kind of in a little context, he's been on this show. I think he may have been a co-host or something on the show. So he's going to be a little more open, a little more lax. This is why I wanted to include this one, because this is where he's really going to be able to vent, really share his frustrations, his real feelings, and kind of joke about it too. I mean, when he calls it a jizz fest, I mean, I don't think he'd be part of it if he really thought it was a jizz fest. I don't know. I don't know this guy or anything, but he, he seemed, he's, I mean, li listening to this and the audio is out there. They tried to hide the, the audio. We still have it though. Um, and that's definitely worth looking at. And maybe in the future, we'll go through some of his audio on this. It's very, it's very interesting, you know, and he was David's friend, best friend growing up and was in the future in adult life. They were business partners. Uh, they had some mm -hmm. joint business ventures together. Uh, so very, it's good to get his viewpoint, Greg, because uh, Mitch Heil was very important in David Crowley's life. I mean, these guys yeah. did a lot together. Yeah. And, and he's saying David, I mean, he's, that, that's his quote, David, your up. best so friend again, who basically went nuts. No evidence, but he's throwing him under the bus. Yeah. And but and it's also where he says, and it's like you're watching the slow collapse of somebody. But then he says, like progressing. So the slow collapse is progress. So it's, I mean, for me, that was kind of hard. When I read it, it's a little bit different than when you listen to it. So if you have a chance to listen to this full show, it, it probably it may be better because you think, well, it's a slow collapse, but he's progressing. So the collapse is progressing. It's just. It just messes with my head so with some yeah, of the think, stuff I that he's all he means there is it's just moving along in slow motion it's it's, it's happening in slow motion progressing that way not progressing getting uh right better, you're right i don't think this, this, no, it's no. kind of goofy the verbiage there but yeah it's a little so, but he also does say that he, david recorded everything to me that was another big thing that he says david recorded everything but not the deaths didn't record anything as far as we know past november of 2014 that's kind of weird too he didn't record christmas he didn't record any of the family gatherings that they had any of their any of just them doing anything there's no journal it's just very weird how it was like david went dark around this this time um or or, or was this stuff taken out um was is there you know more video that david was was doing was he really recording around christmas time and that just got deleted or something. It's just weird how he would say David recorded everything and he meticulously kept journals of everything for the longest time, except in those last months. It's, I don't know, that bothers me. Well, the interesting thing is, like you said, Greg, the last months would be the David Crowley's meticulous notes 
about how his friends and business partners have betrayed him and he's exposed right. them all as the snakes within his group. So right. if something were to be gone, moved, deleted, altered, or scrubbed, so to say, uh, it would be those last months. So that's also very convenient. Uh, David knew it was the very people closest to him uh, that had been exposing themselves as the very snakes that were out to get him. So of course those things would be removed. I think of the Facebook post on his personal page that David says, I'm looking um, uh, to get new folks in my group that are responsible, trustworthy adults. And I'm switching it up as far as the management of my team. I'm mixing it up. And that's the post that's gone. Not from the Gray State Facebook page, David Crowley's personal Facebook page that no one had access to or no one should have had access to. His page, who deleted that quote? All um, right. And this, this... I think that was very important that that one was missing because what we could hypothesize here is that the last few months, there were journals of meticulous notes. There right. was audios. There was recordings. Those are the things scrubbed because it doesn't fit the narrative. And once that post on his Facebook page, people started looking at that saying, well, this doesn't line up uh, with anything that happened of him going yeah. dark and him going depressed and, and him being broken without a contract and no money. And then the very next day, that post is, is wiped out of Facebook. Right. And there's something that kind of coincides with that with David's journal. When the police said the journal ended in September, we get the journal and it ends in November. So we don't know how much could have been scrubbed, how much could have been taken out. There's not a uh, there's not a finite line, a, a, an end line where things end. It's, uh, it's some things end in September, some things end in November. Our question is on a show like this is, did it ever end? Was there notes up until December? Uh, was there notes up until Christmas that were just not lending to the narrative. So therefore they had to be destroyed and removed. That, that, that's what we're getting at here because it doesn't, things don't add up. That's right. Now, Mitch was joking about the murders right after they had happened. It was just how felt, how just how Mitch dealt with his friend's tragedy. It's normal for him. That's just how I cope with things. Mitch then clarified his role in making the Gray State movie trailer. Quote, it was just the three of us. It was me, David, and this other guy, Danny Mason. I did the camera. I did props. I did makeup. I did lighting. I did producing things. I did set design. Basically anything other than being the director are things that I had a hand in at one point or another. End quote. Now, that's fair enough. I believe that is all true. I think everything you said there was true. And Danny Mason yeah, and it's, was and, and the it's, actor. Uh, the director was David Crowley, and all the background things was Mitch Heil. And that's all. <laughs> he didn't have to believe in these conspiracies. He didn't have to believe in the subject matter. His job was, I want a set made, a des design a set, do it, do the lighting, do it. And he doesn't have to believe in it uh, at all. So I think he was just doing that as a job, as helping out a friend, helping out a buddy, doing that as a job. Uh, yeah, and, and if... Yeah, and if people look at um, their, uh, I mean, they, they were business partners. So that's the main thing. These two guys are business partners, but they're also friends and they're also soldiers. So they, you know, they, I don't think they served together, but they did serve at the same time. So they were both in the army. I don't know if they were a part of the same, you know, crew or, or whatever, but unit. Um, yeah, the same unit. Thank you. Um, but um, if you look at their other short films that they have made, um, 
uh, Hyle was also part of those other short short films, which a lot of them are a lot crazier. I, in my view, a lot crazier than the whole Gray State trailer. To me, the Gray State trailer, if you look at um, the videos on Hothead, I think it's called just Hothead uh, um, on their YouTube channel. Hothead Productions. Yep. Hothead Productions. Okay. So if you look at their YouTube channel, look at their short films there. A lot of them are – they're pretty out there. And so the most real one um, I think is the whole Gray State one. That is the most real one. But, but Mitch Howe was part of all of those other things too. So to him, the Gray State may – the Gray State trailer may have just been one other trailer that they were making, and this just happened to be the one that connected with people. Yeah. I think that uh, for those out there thinking, how can Mitch Heil say this and make fun of these conspiracy theorists, yet he's inserted himself into these movies, these roles, director. Mm. I think the difference there is that he was a business uh, business partner and was doing this because it needed to be done, not that he necessarily agreed with it. He did a lot of stuff. There's a lot of videos out there of things that he helped work on. But the main one here with the conspiracy, I think he, he nodded his head, did it. What can I do to help? Um as far as let's get this done, um, regardless about his thoughts on the very topic. That's right. Continuing on, it says, David's family gave Eric Nelson all of David's private home videos because according to Mitch, quote, first of all, what are they going to do with it? What are they going to do with it? Second is, I guess, it's kind of a way to humanize him or just not say he was a monster, end quote. Now, what do you think of that, Greg? <laughs> That's big right there. Um, because you have this whole thing. This is they're trying to humanize this guy, which I thought, okay, that's great. That's a that's a great thing. But that's not what I get from from this film. I don't know what you got, and maybe I'm sure everyone everyone's view is different. Everyone's view is is relevant. Um, but I, I mean, to try to humanize him, I really felt like no. They tried to make him a monster. They tried to kind of um, show that this was a person that just went went crazy snapped they don't give any reason they don't say hey this is what made him crazy this is what made him him snap and all of the things that they do to try to trick you into thinking that turned out not to be true they told you that david's script was was dead that's in the actual film and then you talk dan hannon talked to <laughs> talked to mike bozio and it's like no the project only died because david died is what he basically said so, I mean, I don't know. I had a really hard time with it where he's just saying, well, what are they going to do with it? What, are, what is the family going to do with it? You know, I mean, they had a good opportunity to make a real film. I don't think the family had any interest in making any, any film. No. I don't know where all of this started. It's really crazy that Sean Wright, that Mason Hendricks have a big part in this, in, in actually the background, you know, in actually making this film, getting this film done. That bothers me, too. Um, because I feel like they really are the people that were really pushing to make this this film. And if they wanted to make David, if they wanted to humanize David, they, they had a great opportunity to say, you know what, guys, this is what the police say, but we don't know. Best case scenario, that's what I was hoping from Eric Nelson's film was, is they would say, this is what the, the cops say, this is their proof, et cetera, et cetera. In, in the end, we don't know because we don't know. We don't. We weren't there. We don't have the actual proof of what happened. That would have been the way to humanize David. Yeah, and and the the amount and the hours and hours of footage with David doing things uh, in the backyard um, with his daughter on the trampoline at the local uh, playground, going down the slides, yeah. doing things, painting, doing artistic crafts and things that they all did together. 
uh, there would have been hundreds of hours of those things that would humanize David Crowley. That is when we know by what came out in the film, what was not the case is that they cherry picked from thousands, tens of thousands of hours, only the things that made him look like a monster. That's that there's your evidence uh, right there of all the things out there. Um, then they picked the, the cherry picked. So, and as far as what's the family going to do with all that video footage, you know, you know, give it, give it to them to make a, a movie. You know, what's the family going to do with them? Uh, I would agree. They're not going to use anything like that. Now, if he was a hero and now you're sitting on all these hours and hours of video footage, um, for instance, uh, you know, you found all this video footage of, uh, of Prince or, or Jimi Hendrix or, uh, you know, a famous, you know, Elton John when he dies, you know, uh, all of these things that you have, you can make these tributes down the road of a very famous person. Now, David died as a bad guy and a monster. What he's saying here is they're never going to make a biopic about this. They're not going to do a biography on his life by using all this footage. The family's going to delete it all. They have no use for it. So why not give everything, not a portion, everything to Eric Nelson? And what happened then is, is that where we see Mason Hendricks ultimately getting credit as a producer in the movie going through and editing out and cherry picking the bad scenes that make yeah. him look like a bad father, a bad husband, and a bad person. Now those that things are cherry That's what yeah. makes the movie. So there's where the money comes in. There's <laughs> yeah, they where, get paid for that. There's where your, um, you know, that that's how it ties together for those of us standing back to see the big picture. It's also very clean and neat because of all these things are that are wrong are what took place. You would have a group of supportive friends saying, here's the, the good side of David. Here's the good side of Kamel. And here's, uh, you know, Rania, um, the good side of Rania. But yet we see her crying, her throwing a tantrum. Those are the only things we see. Them talking about a, a scary red man thing. You know, those, that's all that's included in the movies, these goofy, weird, strange happenings. Right. <laughs> it's so once again, it's, it's all cherry pick now. And and Mason Hendricks was, if you watch the end credits, he was credited, which means there is cash involved. There's so money. all of this is flowing down the wrong path of painting a picture that they wanted it to be done rather than like you said, here's all the information. We don't know what happened, but here's the David that we knew. You make up your own mind. That would have been a perfect documentary. It would have been great. Yeah. And I still, that 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 could still happen one day if they still have that, those, uh, that footage. Yeah, it could. Yeah. Now, you go on to say that I'm not sure why anyone would attempt to humanize someone who they believed murdered his five-year-old daughter and shot his wife twice in the head before using her blood to write on the wall. But maybe that's just me. That's very well written, I think. <laughs> Mitch Heil ended his relationship with the Gray State Project when it was, quote, no longer financially viable to stay involved. And by that, I mean, I was like two months away from being homeless, end quote. Uh, now that that is a stretch for Mitch Heil to do that. <laughs> yes, was he losing money? Was he going bankrupt? Did he not have a support? Yes. Uh, was he about to be homeless? I I can't imagine that being the case. It makes for good makes for a good quote. A lot of drama out there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, it's it, it just shows he. I mean, it seems like he wasn't making any any money. With, but this goes along with what they were telling us that you know there's no there's no money in it. Yeah, and there's no money in this stuff, but I don't and when, know. I and when David got his lawyer involved to ask Mitch Heil to sign the legal document to say, you know what, I'm not connected to this project, 
we get it. We get the FOIA request that shows Mitch Heil signing that document away and saying, yes, I'm not going to try to uh, do anything to uh, you know, just, just to backstab you. You can have all the rights to this whole thing, which is very good, very polite, and very right from a business partner of David's to do that. Right. That, that all made sense. Remember, it was Danny August Mason who says, I'm not signing anything. I'm not going to sign it at all. I'm not even going to tell and, my attorney about this, but I'll use the attorney as my scapegoat to say he's not allowing me to sign it. I don't think he brought it to his attorney at all, ever. Yeah. And it, it seems like the is once again. And and it, it's the same contract, right? Because we have both of them. They look like almost exactly cut copy paste. The they same were, contract. They were exact documents just both with blank names, blank lines for the names and the dates. And they filled them out, signed them and mailed them back. Everything else yeah. that uh, that contract that uh, document was just a generic document that David's attorney suggested that they sign. They didn't even need to have that signed to move forward, but it was to help them get out of potential legal problems in the future to have that done ahead of time. And that's what stalled everything. That one document that Danny August Mason refused to sign. Uh, and, and then, and then Heil, yeah, Heil signed it um, outside of David's house. This is at a point where David is not letting people into their house it seems like after august after after ranya's birthday there's really not a lot of people that are allowed inside of david's house so it's not that uncommon it's not like oh david didn't just let kamel's sister in he wasn't letting anybody in his yes. friend his very close friend uh his childhood friend you know his, his business partner and a former soldier that you know also served this this country too he wasn't letting him in so to me it's not that big of a deal where they say oh very consistent. It's very uniform. Very consistent, consistent as far yeah. as David Crowley's behavior. Yep. Uh, whereas the narrative, official narrative, makes it sound like it's very bizarre. Uh, why he wouldn't let the, his very own sister-in-law in you know, right. the house in October. That's true, but he also didn't let anyone else in. So continuing on, from Heil's perspective, it says, David was focused on the Gray State franchise, and there were no outside projects to bring in any revenue. Another reason Heil left the project was because was because he told David conspiracy theories are so fucking stupid. I don't mesh with that whole with this whole movie, so I can't do it anymore. End quote. So now this makes sense. Mitch is is being honest. He's not a conspiracy guy, and he's saying, you know, you can go do this all you want. I just can't go forward with it because it's it's, it's lunacy, you know. So he backs. He gets out of the whole thing, and I think that's fair enough to say. Mitch also pointed out that it was normal for David to disappear while writing for weeks at a time. I think this is a very important point, regardless mm -hmm. of where you stand on the allegations against Crowley. A very important point. Why do you say that, uh, Greg? I just noticed a typo that I had there, too. <laughs> it's more focused on my typo than H-E-I. Um, but, yeah, so uh, this is very important. This is a very important point because we had been told, you know, hey, David was, you know, he would during his, this was something that David always did when he was writing. He would he would distance himself from people. So the fact that he is now as of September of 2014, he is basically being tasked with um, coming up with a treatment for a TV series, which is completely different than writing a script. Writing a scripts are fun. I, I enjoyed writing scripts for many, many years. I find them very, very fun. I love writing plays. It's pretty much the same thing. A play is a little bit different, but it's it's a it's a fun process. Writing a um, 
writing a TV series, though, I mean, that's a whole other thing. Like, you have to do research. You have to really understand what are they expecting from the TV series. How many series are, are you going to do? You're writing a pilot for a TV series. It's a lot different than writing a, a, a script. This could have been a whole other world for David. Where, and maybe that's why we don't have – maybe he never actually wrote anything for this this TV series. He was still working on, well, how do I, how do I even do this? You know, How do yeah. we even make this here? To write a treatment for a TV series – not that the big of a of a deal really but it takes time and you need to be able to just sit in a room for hours for days sometimes for weeks sometimes months too some writers they spend months just like you know I'm going to spend four four months and I'm just going to separate myself from everything and just write this stuff and just write so this was a very important thing where Mitch House says this is normal for David because we have been told that this was not normal that David was distancing him himself from everybody, but part of the uh, part of the reason why he was distancing himself could have been because he's in the writing mode. And that's a very creative. That's a very artistic, creative uh, background that a lot of people do, and they do that kind of a thing. Now, once he pulled himself out and did his focus, is where we try to is where we start seeing this narrative of the Shining episode come in the movie The Shining with Jack Nicholson where he secluded himself as a writer and then went mad in this hotel in Colorado. That's okay. where we started to see some of this shining element. I didn't even connect that. Thank they you connected that. it with that, saying this is what David Crowley did. That's he right. secluded himself so much that he ended up going mad. That's wow. what the, the Gray State guys wanted us to do. And if you watch the movie, The Shining, that's exactly what happens. This is what they're so pushing. Right. Alec Wilkinson, Eric Nelson, and, and Corey... Uh, Corey Zorowski, they're all going with that narrative that he secluded right. himself away as a writer, went mad along the way, and it flowed through like the movie The Shining. And that's why I've said that uh, so many times because that's what they're trying to get us to believe. A normal general person in the public has seen the movie The Shining. They can relate to it and say, oh, yes, this this must have been what he did. And they get that. They get the the similarities and the symbolism of all this. That's why they shoved that down our throat, that narrative that he was distancing himself. But like you said, so clearly when an artist does that, that's what they do. They just pull away. They lock themselves away. Uh, they write, but they don't go mad. That's a movie. That's a, that's a movie that takes yeah. place. So that's what they're trying to get us to, to vision, that visual of Jack Nicholson in The Shining is what they tried from the very beginning to get the general public to see. So they watch the movie. They read the articles. The general public says, yep, sounds to me like The Shining. That's that's what happened. The guy went nuts. He's a nut job and ended. But then the people coming to our justice page are the ones that see the articles and the documentary. And they say, well, no, they're trying to shove. They're trying to do too much propaganda here. And they end up on our page because they can see through the BS. That's why the critical thinkers are drawn to our justice group. The normal public, the brain dead public don't get it because they don't they don't understand. They don't see it. The final page here is, then Heil said something I strongly disagreed with. He stated Eric Nelson's film had, quote, two hardcore conspiracy theorists who still think that David was killed by the government in this documentary. They were doing a Skype session back and forth. All the filmmaker did was let them talk to each other over Skype and show how fucking stupid they are. He didn't even have to say anything to them. It was pretty funny, end quote. Now, Greg, you know that's us now, right? Yeah, that, now now we're getting personal here. Now we're getting personal. And so 
do I consider myself or you a hardcore conspiracy theorist? No, we're just doing a, we were doing shows, podcasts on this topic, on the David Crowley deaths. We're talking back and forth to each other. We had other people on, we had interviews and, um, that was yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I think he's he's talking about when Eric Nelson was at your house and when Robert Erickson was at my house or my mom's house, and and he couldn't even get it right. He was, he called it a Skype session. It doesn't matter. Yeah, I think we were doing Google Hangouts or something, but whatever. Those we were on small and during the show, and they said let's start the show because that's yeah. how it was said. That's how it was. Remember, that's how it was pitched to me to say let's get you guys on because. Your podcasts that you're doing on this topic is gaining such national traction and international traction. You're potentially solving the case. We want to do a movie on you guys. That's how it was pitched to me. They oh, want wow. To Interesting. That's how it was pitched to that we would be the stars of the movie because mm. of what we're doing, exposing the truth versus all these conspiracies out there versus all the propaganda out there. And so that's how it was pitched to me that made my uh, alert go up to say, we can really make some waves if we get ourselves in a documentary here, not for the purpose of us, but for the purpose of the story. Once again, there's folks out there thinking that you and I, Greg, want to become famous and get rich off this poor family's death. That's not <laughs> right. Case. Right. Uh, you're, you're giving a book away for free. <laughs> and I haven't made a dime on any of this. So that's not the case. But I thought it would really help expose this case and take it to another level. Yeah. When it turned out that it wasn't, and they were using us to kick to the kick to the street, it did just that. Uh, we were the idiots. But it also brought in the f famous quote of "No press is bad press." Right? <laughs> yeah, you're you're right. For us being on that mm -hmm. show even shed in a bad, poor light as discredited that they're trying to do really got people to come up and join and find our page, do searches on our names to find out what we were and how to contact us and get further interviews and whatnot. And that's why I think we're able to get these high profile interviews with the right people, the correct people, Mike Boggio and the like, who were never interviewed for any of the articles, any of the movies. Wouldn't Mike Boggio be your executive producer, contract movie guy that you'd want to talk to first? I'm speaking to Eric Nelson here. Wouldn't that be your first guy, <laughs> Alec <laughs> Wilkinson? He said, no, they were never contacted. So wow. it's very interesting that, uh, so they called it Skype and they called us two uh, <laughs> hardcore conspiracy theorists. Hardcore conspiracy. I guess I've, I've been called war. So well, we could always have Mitch Heil on the show sometime <laughs> and help wake him up yes. and get him on certain things because yes. the... I don't know about you, but the the theories of the things that I follow, and I think you too, Greg, for the most part, I believe, I believe it's to be true, is the ones we follow are the true ones. There's yes. no conspiracies out there or theories out there uh, that are bonkers, uh, goofy things. We only follow the ones that we focus on are the ones that we have investigated and found out that were true. So yeah, we yeah. can certainly yeah, I'll, Mitch Heil on. It'd be a good educational show for the young fellow. Absolutely. Yeah. And he, he he's always welcome. He's, he's always welcome here at any any time if he ever does want to come on we can now going he has on, the open door policy yes yes Mitch does uh, calling someone a hardcore conspiracy theorist is often used to deflect from a real conversation and avoid the real issues this I agree with 100% I was wrong when he stated Dan uh, and I think the government killed David now that's also correct uh, I don't you and I Greg have ever said that the government or some black ops killed David 
David Powell and his family. I don't think the government had anything to do with these the deaths. Yeah, I don't. I don't said that. No, I mean, I know that there's other people that were saying that at that time. Other people, other YouTube, you know, channels and people that oh, yes. were, that knew David and I think Dabu Seven Seven Seven. You know, he was very and and he's in that film too. I don't know why they didn't interview him or maybe if he didn't want to be interviewed for it, but that really bothered me because I felt like those people who were saying that 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 the government killed him. Like, don't say the government killed him unless you have proof. Yeah. If, if you can't prove that the government did it, then let's just let's just try to act like, quote unquote, citizen journalists right here or whatever. But let's I mean, let's just figure out what happened. Who? I mean, it's not we're not invested in saying that the government did it or anything like that. But there were people that were and somehow we got lumped in. I know you probably got lumped into that more than, than well, me. we were. We were both heavily involved in the Philip Marshall death, the captain, the 9-11 author of Philip Marshall, in which case I firmly believe the government was involved with that death, with that personal, that that killing of himself, the pilot and his two teenage children and the family dog. So we brought that up in comparisons, but I don't think you or I have ever said that the government killed the Crowley family. We were both saying we don't know what happened. We just know that him killing himself did not happen. There's no way that could have happened. Now, could the government have done it? I don't believe it. It was very sloppy done the way it was. Uh, a government hit is going to be a very clean, uh, efficient operation. Uh, but I think that Mitch Heil, at the same time, doesn't know us and has not uh, interviewed or researched us or followed us at all. And probably yeah. thinks that. I think a lot of people who don't know are going to come away with that takeaway that we're the two lunatics. <laughs> I, I believe that. That's yeah. that to the uneducated person who hasn't followed the case. That's that's more than likely how we are uh, presented. And I'm okay with it. That's fine. It, it is what it is. But I don't think we ever said anything directly that the government did it in this particular case. That's that's the point. Mm-hmm. Now, we don't have an answer as to what really happened, and I don't see any facts that prove David was killed by the government. Also a good quote. I see lots of speculation about that possibility, but I also see lots of speculation about David's guilt. We can only go where the evidence leads us. Well said. Mitch felt the documentary was, quote, done as respectfully as it could be done, end quote, adding he didn't feel anything was taken out of context. Now, that uh, I don't agree with. I agree with that zero percent. Uh, that's exactly yeah. what it did. That's yeah. If he thinks if he's sitting back and watching that, uh, then I feel sorry for Mitch because uh, the whole thing was taken out of context, much like we said before, the cherry picking. Continuing on. When it when it came to David meeting with Hollywood executives, Mitch explained that David was concerned about losing certain rights to the Gray State franchise. We know Danny August Mason was hesitant to give up his rights to the project. Mitch Heil was not. The only other thing I found interesting about Heil's interview on the Dutch and Royce show was when the pact theory was mentioned. Interesting. And then, Greg, you ended with the bold. Overall, I felt Mitch chose his words carefully and did not discount the possibility of a plan between David and Kamel to end their lives after murdering their daughter. And so what do you have there? That wraps up the yeah. chapter. Anything else on closing thoughts with his his pact theory, Greg? Yeah, that was the most interesting thing because he didn't really – he he you know, we've had Sean Wright, we've had other people where they say that they really believe that there was a pack theory. Mitch Howe never said that, but he also never discounted the possibility of a pack theory. So it seems like he's still open to the possibility that there was some type of a pact. And we see this from David's own dad. 
his own dad thinks that there could have been a pact here. Um, and I think that may be part of the issue with David's family and Kamel's family, because Kamel's family does not believe that there was any pact here. And it's hard to believe that there was a, when we look at what happened with Kamel, she was shot, her hands are gone, uh, the blood, all of her blood used on the wall. Would she really, would she want to be part of that? Would she think that that was, I mean, that, it's so unnecessary for any pack theory. Um, and then that also changes it from a double murder suicide that would change it to a double suicide with a murder. Yes. For a for a child. So I, I think that is the purpose of Eric Nelson's film and the purpose of a lot of these people, except for maybe Mitch, Mitch Heil. He still seems like he's just kind of dancing. He doesn't address it in that, but he also doesn't dis discount. It. He doesn't. He And I was expecting him to say that. No, there was because he when PTSD came up at the Walker Center, it sounds like from what we've we've heard, he was like, no, no PTSD. But when it came to the pack theory. He kind of danced around it. So I was a little worried about that, very con concerned about some of his views on that pack theory because, I mean, it's just it makes no sense. But I understand why Eric Nelson wanted to push this pack theory, and really not Eric Nelson, but the producers and the people who want to push David's project forward. If it's a pack theory, then it's not just David Crowley, and they can blame David's wife. They can say, well, David did it because his wife wanted to, and he just kind of went with it. That's the, the feeling that I got from Eric Nelson's film is that that's what they really wanted. They wanted to blame David's wife and kind of like David just kind of did it and these things happened. And so he kind of went along with it. And none of that worked. None of that makes sense. Of course, none of this case makes sense to me. So <laughs> but that was an interesting thing. Remember, too, that, that Eric Nelson, as far as the director of this movie, is, is one person isolated doing his own thing. His where the funding came from is now Werner Herzog is the big name where the money comes in uh, as a big, well-known documentary person uh, with a lot of funding and a lot of pull in Hollywood. So I found it interesting that Werner Herzog was involved with this uh, and the money connection with all this. And so although we talk in a negative light about Eric Nelson, we have to keep in mind that he's also a puppet or a pawn in the much bigger scheme. He's not, Eric Nelson is not the one driving uh, this narrative. He's pushing it and we know he's pushing it, but he's being assigned to do so. This isn't his, um, this isn't his baby. This isn't his project. He got assigned this project. He was given the money to do so. And the result was a desired result that was given to him that he just had to follow through on. I think he is a puppet or a pawn in the much bigger game here under the umbrella called propaganda. Eric Nelson uh, is still a bad guy because he's part of it, but I don't think he's the one driving it. He was assigned to do this by the higher-ups and got paid handsomely for his efforts uh, here. Uh, and once again, we haven't heard from either one of those, none of those guys since then. Mm -hmm. There was no, no link for us on an email to say, hey, we're going to go live. Here's the final edition. Please give us your thoughts, you two, on the film before we release it to the Sundance Film Festival and the Walker right. Arts Center. You know, we were kept out of it on purpose because they knew that we would know ultimately that they railroaded us if we saw that preview, much like Mr. Alam, when he saw the preview before it came out. He says, oh, no, this <laughs> is not going to fly. 
you guys are screwing with their family now and making it look like Kamel's the bad guy. And so they pulled themselves out of it. So they knew they couldn't do it from us as another liability in the film. And so. That's right. That's right. All right. That's all I got. That's all I got for this one here. Um, we'll come back next month, uh, August, August 1st. And uh, uh, we're on to the Hollywood. We're going to take a quick, a quick trip to Hollywood. That's the next chapter, I believe. So. That should be fun, Dan, because you're going to be a big part of that one. That's going to be fun. Yes. Yes. All right. Thanks for your time, Greg. All right. Thank you, my friend. Always nice chatting with you. Until next time. All right. See you. All right. God bless you all.